I do have a message prepared to preach today, but I feel impressed to simply pause for a moment and allow for some opportunity for prayer today. Not sure what it is, not trying to predict that you have something that's on your heart, but I'm just wondering if you would bow with me. Perhaps you'd like to kneel where you're at. Perhaps you'd like to stand. Perhaps you'd like to come to this altar and just take a few moments and offer to the Lord your prayers today. I feel led to lead us in doing that. Is that all right? Offer your prayers to the Lord. God, as we seek you this morning and as we call upon your name, as we depend on you and realize that there's so many other things that are undependable, we thank you for hearing our prayers, and I pray that you'll answer them. We are your people in your house in this moment for a very specific purpose, even though none of us knows what that is. We pray that you'll reveal yourself to us through your word that you will lift up those who are down, that you will bring down those who are way too far up on their own, and that you will help us always to seek your face. Truly, as we have just sung, you are everything to us. Help us to live that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning, and it uh, feels uh, kind of like home to me every time I have the opportunity to preach, and I did cut my teeth here as a young pastor, and uh, so those of you are thinking, boy, he looks old, same to you, but anyway, <laughs> it's always good to be uh, behind the pulpit here at Brown's Chapel. I'm grateful for a few things this morning. One is that you turned the air on outside. Last weekend, I was in West Monroe, or as they say at West Monroe, Louisiana, and uh, that's the home of Duck Dynasty, for those of you who are wondering. And was there at one of our churches speaking. It was 97 degrees outside with 93 degrees or 93% humidity, I should say. They said, boy, you just kind of sweat when you go outside. I said, I, I could just look outside and start sweating before I even get out there. But uh, really good to be here and, and have a weekend at home. And uh, thank you for uh, gracing Caleb, my son, my oldest, with uh, the opportunity to preach here the last couple of weeks. And He's uh, enjoying life and uh, becoming a father. For those of you who didn't hear that, at the end of November, that makes me something by the end of November. <clears throat> I'm really not that old. But anyway, um, one of the privileges that I have, and I kind of hate to single people out once in a while, but it is uh, to simply say uh, thank you to you. And so many of you uh, were part of the church here when I was here. And that's been uh, just as long ago as I was here. So it's been... Uh, 14 years ago now that uh, I left here and took uh, denominational office in 2004. And the last two years have been working with Wesleyan Investment Foundation on the ministry side of things. That doesn't mean that the foundation and investment side is not ministry, but all I do is go around and try to help churches get on mission. Uh, once in a while, my children would put it this way. They, they called it the 12D theory. That's my shoe size. So once in a while, it says in the New Testament, we're to spur each other on to good works and to powerful works. And uh, other times, you're just simply holding somebody's hand trying to help them get better. Uh, once in a while, you're slapping somebody figuratively, trying to help them wake up as a church and get after it for Jesus. So thank you for allowing me to, to experience that here. It really is a carryover of what I did here for 13 years. And uh, definitely a sweet spot for me to be able to go around and encourage a lot of churches and pastors but uh, thank you also for loving uh, my family. And uh, next weekend, you know, is Father's Day. Thank you for the prayers that you give for my parents. I uh, actually am going to single out my dad here this morning, even though he's going to say that wasn't necessary. So I'll already take care of that speech that I'll get this afternoon. And uh, I'm going to be out of town on Father's Day. So I brought him uh, one of his favorite treats. I'm going to give it to him publicly here today. You don't have to go anywhere. I'm coming to you. And uh, thank you for the prayers that you give for John and Wilma. You say, 
You gave him Starbucks. Does he like coffee? Look, we're rather uh, industrious in our family, and so we don't support Hallmark any more than we have to. So what's in here is his favorite childhood sweet, which is orange slices. Now, some of you are saying, you have to be joking me. I am not joking you. It's not your gift. It's his. <laughs> so I know what his preference is, along with a card addressed from all of us. And so, Dad, we love you and are grateful for your life and ministry. Thank you for loving us. Happy Father's Day. Just like any other 80-some-year-old kid, he said, can I eat some now? <laughs> so I see people moving his way. See, he doesn't share. Just don't, 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 don't get your hopes up. All kinds of stories about all kinds of things in our lives that we don't share. But anyway, one of them's orange slices, in case you're wondering. He might, he might, though. He's a pretty nice guy. Picking up on what Caleb talked about the last two weeks, you say, I wasn't here, so let me help you. Our lives are to be led by the Spirit, knowing that we are loved by God the Father, Abba Father. And then that that is supposed to flow into our lives in that we are supposed to have genuine love. Love for others, love for people that we like, love for people that maybe don't naturally look like us, or act like us, or think like us, or talk like us, or sing like us, or live like us. Today I want to follow that theme a little bit, knowing that we're led by the Spirit, loved by God the Father, knowing that because of that, His love should flow through us to other people, and it should be genuine, not phony. Today I want to talk to you about the fact that we are to live a life with passion. For who? For Christ. We're to live life for passion, with passion for Christ, and I simply call that living an exclamation point life. It's one of my favorite punctuation points, even though my eighth grade grammar, uh, reading and writing, all those kinds of subject teachers would tell me you're supposed to sparingly use the exclamation point. You rarely use the exclamation point. I'm going to ask you to wear it out. Live it out, more importantly, Living an exclamation point life. We're in Romans 14. If you'd like to follow along, I'm going to have you read one verse. It's verse 8. It's not the most famous verse of this passage. It's actually a very direct one, a rather brash one. What do you expect for me to expose out of this text something that will hit us right between the eyes? I'm going to read the verse 7 verses. They're up on the screen for you as we go along here. And... Um, then I'm going to ask you to join me in reading verse 8 aloud. I'll pause and ask you to read that. I'll read verse 9 myself, and then we'll do our mantra of this is the Word of God for the people of God, and you'll respond with thanks be to God. All right? It's really simple. That's your only line. Don't blow it. Thanks be to God for His truth, His Word. Romans 14, verse 1, except, those, except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servant stand or fall? And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, are you ready? Here we go, verse 8. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. 
So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living, of both the dead and the living. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. If we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. See, I was really looking forward to an uplifting text this morning. I, I like it when you say, if we live, we live for the Lord. But can we just skip the second part of that verse and just simply say, if we live, we, we do it unto the Lord. Let's just not talk about the dying part. The gist of this whole chapter is, will I live my life in full accountability to God, or will I be the one who figures everything out on myself? Am I the one that is somehow responsible to be able to say, I set the rules, I set the pace, I set what happens in my life, and I really am not accountable to anyone. We we live in a culture that preaches a sermon that is so counter to this text, it's really not funny. But it's amazing to watch. And as long as everything's going well, I take credit for that. If it's going to chaos or to smithereens, whichever you prefer, that's somebody else's fault. And so in this blame generation, and in this island generation, and in this uh, almost self-setting, rule-making generation that we find ourselves, which is everyone's generation today, the six generations that live on the face of this earth for the first time in human history, the most prolific population ever in our world. We find so much self-centeredness, and it's basically I'll do what I want, when I want, and how I want, and forget you. What does Paul say to that? What does the Spirit of the Lord say to that in this particular text? The first thing that you'll find out as you try to overcome evil with good, as you try to deal with the weight of this world that you live in, and we realize what the Word of God says, the first thing to remember is that God is in charge. That God is in charge. That there is one with authority over the whole world. And even though you think that a summit on Tuesday morning is going to solve the issues of the world, as uh, some foreign minister arrived late earlier today and on my television this morning as I was getting ready for church, the President of the United States arrived in Singapore this morning. Even though we think that summits all over the world and kings and queens rule this earth and legislatures and congresses and all kinds of uh, rulings rule this world. We need to be reminded this morning that God is the one who is ultimately in charge and I'm not. There's a Hebrew concept for this and uh, you, you may not have known it. I'll, I'll try to transliterate it in, into you this morning and, and put it into English. The, the word is diddly squat for those of you who are wondering. There's a Hebrew word for it, but but it literally means that you and I are in charge of nothing. Nothing that will last. Anyway, the problem is that we're in charge of some stuff. We have titles, and we have responsibilities, and we have roles even within our own household. We we have officers at church. We, we have dignitaries all over the place. Everybody has a title. My theory is if you need a title, you need a couch. But all of this revolves around the fact that I am the one who can somehow set the rules. And Paul is going to slap us right upside the head this morning with this particular text and say, actually, you need to live knowing that there are all kinds of people around you that are impacted by your life every day. But God's the one that's ultimately in charge. And it's the first thing because it's the first thing and it should always be the first thing. And it should be the point of view that we have as followers of Christ. And if you're not one this morning, perhaps that's the greatest thing that you're here for today is to accept Christ as your Savior and become His follower. But to realize that I'm not in charge. I find that very, very uh, freeing this morning. I don't want to be in charge because I don't know how to answer a bunch of stuff that's happening. Where in the world? Well, that's a place to start. But how about just my own life? 
How about just the own, the, the, the journey that God has led me on? The question that has to be settled in this particular text is, is it my opinion that rules or is it God's? The question that has to be settled in our lives is, is it my opinion that sets the rules and the pace or is it God's? That will determine how the rest of this message goes. And so it's a great reminder for us to realize that we're not in charge of very much, if anything at all. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, it just simply says, God is great and I am not. Remember the things that I've done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. The only person that has a right to be selfish in our world is God Himself. You know why? Because it's His. But He's made us with this really tricky thing called a free will. And it sneaks in all the time. And we realize sometimes that sometimes we can make decisions that impact things. Sometimes we, we can hold positions. Sometimes we, we can almost think that we're in charge that, and we take a look at things and say, look at, look at what I did. Look at what I could do. And we realize that actually it's only God's favor that has been poured out to make any of that happen in what we would call good anyway. When it comes down to it, there are two things that will last forever. One is God's word. And the other one is the soul of a person. Even in Revelation, we find that there are names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that those will find eternity and God's Word will make that happen and God's work in somebody's life will make that happen. And, and yet we hold on to so much. And we need to be reminded over and over again that God is in charge. That we're to love people and use things. Or some people love things and use people. Nothing, nothing will be taken with us. Think about whatever it is that you and I wrap ourselves up into. I got in an argument last Sunday afternoon after I had preached the word of the eternal God of the universe with a TSA agent in Monroe, Louisiana, not West Monroe. There, there's a river that divides the two for those of you who love worthless trivia. The argument with the TSA state, uh, agent was over a little shaker bottle of some Cajun rub called Slap Your Mama. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. Slap Your Mama. It's very popular down there. I, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't find that very, very, you know, I, I don't want to slap my mama, but anyway. The guy gave it to me from the church. He said, thank you for helping us this year. It's been amazing, and, and we really appreciate you, and we want to give you a bottle of Slap Your Mama. And, uh, you know, it's not something that... He said, you can put it on anything. I, I don't know what that means. But anyway, <laughs> apparently it's pretty popular stuff, and I had to have a contest with who was in charge at the airport through security. So they looked in my bag and through the security thing, and then they all wanted to open it up, and I had to wait literally about 30 minutes, and I had about an hour, so I decided to tango with this guy. For those of you who know me, that's kind of fun once in a while. And um, he just said, you, you can't take Slap Your Mama with you. And I said, why not? He said, well, you can't take food with you. They said, it's not, it's a spice. It's not a food. He said, and it's not fruit flies. It's not fruit. It's not anything coming from California or Florida. It's not, it's not oranges. It's not apples. It's Slap Your Mama. And I said that rather loud, you know, so that other people could hear that too. There are only 20 people in the whole airport. But anyway, we're having this argument about who's in charge. And I had to ask him to pull out the regulations from the TSA supervisor. And he looked at me and he said, I, I am the supervisor. I know what the rules are. Which I'm going downhill quickly in this argument. And he was also the gate agent, the ticket agent, the baggage guy, and the pilot. But anyway, it's not going to be a pleasant trip if I don't shut up. And I, I had to realize that slap your mama was not really something I should wrap up my whole Sunday afternoon in, perhaps even being detained in Monroe, Monroe, Louisiana. And so eventually, finally, he uh, was convinced that it was a powder. I was convinced all he wanted was slap your mama. He really didn't care about me. He had some ribs he wanted to powder on that night. And so eventually he gave it to me, and I, I got out of there, and I'm probably on a list that should never go back. But anyway... No, I didn't swear at him. I didn't yell at him or anything else. We were talking about the importance of slap your mama. 
I don't know what you get into. I don't know what you uh, get occupied by. I don't know what you make a big deal of. But I've got news for you today. For those of you who are wondering, God is in charge and I'm not and you're not. Second issue that comes up in this passage when we're dealing about somebody doing something and somebody else not doing something and, and one person gets to eat something in the New Testament and one person is not supposed to eat something in the New Testament and one person says there's a sacred day and the other person says every day is the same and we have all these opinions and differences going on between Jews and Gentiles. We need to realize that God is also in charge or helps us with our words. God helps us with our words through His Word. It says in Romans 14, in verses 10 through 18, you can read this whole chapter to, to just kind of extrapolate this even through the afternoon. It's going to rain all day anyway, so you might as well stay inside and read the Bible. But anyway, God helps us with our words. We are way, way too judgmental. Way too judgmental. You say, well, yeah, that person that was coming at me, they had blue hair. You're going to have blue hair someday. I hate to tell you that. It's just going to be a different time. That, that person was all tatted up. They, they don't even, they, they say that they're a Christian and they've got all these markings on their body. I, I don't think that that's the unpardonable sin. It's not something that I personally would do, but I don't have their taste apparently. I don't have their past apparently. I don't have their perspective apparently. That, my friends, is somebody who's made in the image of Jesus Christ and that person is just as equal as I am. Paul is asking, why do you go around judging people? Just because they don't have your background, just because they don't have your legacy, just because they don't have even your ethnicity, just because they don't have your lifestyle, you've got all these rules figured out. The rule that we should be judged on and we will be judged on is this fact, and that is, what did you do with Jesus Christ? That's the only question you'll be asked. Not, did you eat vegetables or not? Not, did you call a day sacred or not? Not, did you have a particular lifestyle or not? There are some that are recommended in Scripture. There are all kinds of things that are even addressed in here, even to the point where we shouldn't be a stumbling block, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, but God needs to help us with our thoughts in our head and even some of those thoughts that hit our lips. About what? About others. One of the things that I had to do, even as a young pastor and still try to do it today is to use the word not yet. Because there's a lot of people that will go around, there used to be a phrase, you know, well that wasn't very Christian. I don't even know what that meant back then, but that was a popular phrase when I was a kid. That, that wasn't a very Christian thing to do. That meant that somebody was mean. That meant that somebody was judgmental, perhaps. That meant that somebody lied. Maybe they, they stole something. It, there were some labels, you know, but but it's also something that we think in our minds that never hit our lips when we look down on somebody else. And that's exactly what Paul's addressing here. In James chapter 5, verse 12, it says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath on heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin or be condemned. We need help with our words. I can't control how somebody interprets my words. But I need to ask God on a daily basis, help me with my thoughts, help me with my words. Let me live a simple life where my yes is yes, my no is no. What does that mean? It means coupled with that, perhaps in Philippians 4, that whatever's right, whatever's true, whatever's noble, that I would think on these things and that they would actually hit my mouth. Yesterday I spent the day, and some of you will know, uh, my wife, Mindy, who passed away four and a half years ago, and she was my partner in ministry here as well as other places, but I was with her family in Chicago. And um, all kinds of things were being judged by extended family members. I, I left, so I'm sure I was next on the list, I'm pretty sure. And I'm not trying to condemn them, but uh, some of them are not followers of Christ, and they had this to say about somebody and that to say about somebody. And, and thankfully, there were others that they were commending and, and were doing well in life. And, and I, was, I was just thinking about Mindy's mother who was there and is uh, suffering very, very severely with dementia and, and uh, uh, Alzheimer's and um, pretty much out of it mentally, but uh, strong as an ox physically. And what a great, gracious woman she was. And still is. She didn't recognize me. But she looked at me and smiled. And she said, Jerry? I said, no, Jim. 
She said, oh, that's right. You're such a good boy. Such a good boy. She was a gracious, still is, but out of it mentally. It's kind of sad to see. When's the last time you asked God to help you with your words? With your thoughts? Especially for people who aren't like you. Keeping your word is the foundation to love and friendship and relationship. You need to ask the question, what does keeping my word cost me? Or what does it actually save me? Each of us, each of us are accountable to God. And Paul just kind of puts it on the line here and says you should stop judging other people and you should be passionate about trying to think well of others, thinking and speaking favorably of others. Is that difficult to do? It is for me. Especially people that I don't naturally like. There's people you don't naturally like? Yes. Are, are some of them here? No. Just in case you were wondering if you were on the list. I didn't naturally like the TCA, TSA agent that was trying to take my slap your mama. You understand. I wanted my own slap your mama. I didn't want him to take mine. Third issue that he's talking about here in English terms and taking it, extrapolating it out of the New Testament is that God wants us to be generous. He wants us to be generous in how we look at things and how we take uh, a viewpoint on things. It's a pretty amazing week culturally. Perhaps you even cast some judgment on those who famously committed suicide this week. Well, they must have been messed up. Well, they must have been too drunk. It must have been drugs. We'll find out. That, my friends, is the person who's made in the image of Christ. And the only thing that's come into our hearts is sadness. Because somebody entered eternity. Twice this spring, minister friends of mine have taken their lives. All kinds of judgment has come out. All kinds of criticism has come out. I simply chose to try to care for their widows and their children in a personal way. He wants us to be generous in things that we do and actually things that sometimes we don't do. It says in the scripture in Romans 14, 19 through 23, we're to live in righteousness, in peace, and in joy in the Spirit. That, that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. That what, that's what it means to, to be genuine toward others, to live in righteousness, to be right with God, to live in peace with God and others, and to live in joy. That we're to be passionate about that. That we should be generous in the things that we do and the things that we don't do. And a lot of people hear the word generosity and they think money. That's really not what he's talking about here. He's talking about how you will view somebody else. He's talking about the fact that you shouldn't be a stumbling block to somebody else. That you should be generous in that you are sacrificing for somebody else. Especially the people that you live with. Especially the people that you go to church with. Especially even for the person, the stranger, the homeless one, the outcast. Some questions to answer this morning is, do I envy or do I esteem people? I don't know what they've been through. I don't know everything that's happened to them. I don't know how they became poor. I don't know how they got rich. Do I envy them or do I esteem them as a even not yet brother and sister in Christ? Or do I write them all? It could be that we need to analyze how we do and don't spend the God, God's resources that he's given to us. The, maybe the money, the time that we have, analyzing how we spend our time, analyzing how we spend our money. Are we generous to be able to give that to others? Or is it something that we keep ourselves... Does your selfishness foster a generous life? Or does your selfishness cause someone to stumble? That's the question. See, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to answer that for you. It's a very personal question. Am I so self-centered 
that I cannot see what somebody else needs. Let's dig a little deeper culturally. There are people that are crying out all over the place for friendship. There are people crying out all over the place for acceptance. There are people crying out all over the place, all over the world, that somebody would pay attention to them. You say, well, that's just, that's just somebody that is trying to, you know, be, be too sensitive perhaps, or maybe somebody ought to pay attention to me first. Let me help you with something. It's called a boomerang life. A boomerang comes back to you, but you have to throw it first. It's giving somebody else acceptance, even though you may not feel accepted. It's giving somebody else uh, something that, that of worth, even though you may feel worthless. It's, it's giving somebody else time, even though they may suck time out of you like anybody's business. It's, it's literally not being in a hurry with somebody who needs you in that moment, even though your schedule is packed. I don't know how it fits you. I'd hate to go down the list and have you say, we didn't mention mine, so I don't have to really do that particular point. I don't need to be a generous person. It has very little to do with money in this passage again. It has to do with how you treat somebody else. It has to do with what your example is to somebody else. If eating meat trips them up, don't eat it. That was his context. If drinking something trips them up, still applies today. Don't drink it. Don't be the person who trips them up because of your own selfishness. How does this relate? It really does go back into the fact that, that God is in charge and we're here living for Him and we're here living for others and, and we're led by the Spirit and our love should be genuine. You say, yeah, but what about me? Who's going to take care of me? We need to get to a point where we realize that if we go first... We're actually living in the example of Christ. For He who died for us yet while we were sinners. That Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That that He went first so that we could experience His love. And that we could go first into somebody else's life so that they could experience actually not just our love, but His love. Yeah, but I, I need to take everything for myself. I, I learned through my father and my grandfather that they had a phrase that explained this a little bit, that uh, when you're accumulating everything to yourself and when you're not generous with your time and you're not generous with your resources and you're hoarding everything, their, their phrase was, there is no hitch on a hearse. But I need to tell them, I'll have to tell Grandpa in heaven, I need to tell you, Dad, I found a hitch on a hearse. It was actually in Newcastle. It really was, Alice. I'm sorry. The funeral director there, when I did a funeral for somebody that was in Newcastle, I'm not sure who it was, had a hitch on his hearse. And I asked him while we were riding to the cemetery, I said, hey, you got a hitch on your hearse. I've, I've been told there's no hitch on a hearse. I'll explain what it means in a little bit. But anyway, he said, yeah, I take my boat to the lake. When I don't have funerals, I like, I like to take my boat. So he uses his boat to take, his hearse to take his boat to the lake. That would be quite a picture. What does it mean? You're not taking anything with you. There's nothing you're taking with you. People put all kinds of things into caskets. There's nothing you're taking with you. You're especially not taking your encouragement. You're not taking your favor that you were saving up. You're not taking your prayers that you were saving up for somebody special. You're not even taking your goods. When you find that somebody else who may be even weaker than you, and don't look at them in judgmental way, but Paul uses that language here, that they may have need and I have something that I can supply, that that is the person precisely that God has put in our paths for us to be generous with. How many of the kids of this church need encouragement today? Some of you know Lauren Peters. Lauren used to hand out candy. It wasn't wrapped a lot of times. I had to tell him one time, you know what, you should get wrapped candy because that's just... I didn't say it was gross, but it's just kind of gross, you know, and he'd have a whole pocket, a whole blazer full. You remember, Joe, they were Red Hots and sometimes M&Ms, and he'd, he'd come up to me once in a while, he said, you're pretty sour, you ought to sweeten up, here, have some candy. Apparently he didn't like the sermon that day or something, I don't know, but he was an encourager. There are other people that were encouragers. I still remember coming into this little belfry out here before any of this was part of the auditorium and all of those were classrooms over there and there there wasn't anything past this stage in this church some of you remember that old red brick building and that's what it was when i started here and it had been here a long time ago 1838 
A guy named Thomas Williams who stood up in 1902 and said we ought to build the church back when everything wiped out everything in the area. They used the wood out of their barns that had fallen in a cyclone to build back something called Brown's Chapel in 1902. There were generous people all over the place, but I remember standing in that belfry one day and uh, my forehead was a little bruised because I was trying to figure out how in the world we were going to reach people for Christ. I was trying to figure out how the good people of this church could join me in helping people find the Lord and changing this community and reaching the kids. And everybody that was interested in that definitely had that kind of passion. But I remember just being down a little bit on a Sunday morning and somebody was generous with me. His name was Max, Max Greenwald. He came in through that door, that old red belfry door that one day fell off. Now they're glass doors. This is what he said to me. He said, Pastor, I'm praying that somebody gets saved today. I have the faith that somebody gets saved today. And I looked at him and I said, thank you for saying that to me because I don't. And he said, I know. I said, how do you know that? He said, I just know. He gave faith to me. Just in a simple comment. Because he was generous. It's not all about money. What do you have that God has given you that you could share? Even when somebody's not like you. That, my friends, is living a life led by the Spirit. Yes, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, Solomon would say. What we do and what we don't do to make somebody else thrive is crucial. Fourth issue, that God forgives and He forgets. He forgives us and He forgets. That God has accepted us as sons and daughters and and you can take a look at all of Romans, this, this apologetic for the Christian faith, this, this bridge between the Jews and the Gentiles and trying to help them get along in the early church, this, this explanation of how Christianity is supposed to live out, the book of Romans. Sometimes we make it way too complex and realizing that God's Spirit wants to live through us and that God loves us and He wants our love to be genuine and He, and He wants us to live a life with passion. Whether we live or whether we die, we do it as unto the Lord, Paul would say. But God forgives us and He forgets. It's a crucial point that a lot of people need to know today. There's so many people that live in shame. There's so many people that don't think that they're worthy of God's love because of something they've done in the past. There are so many people that downgrade themselves and, and they think that, you know, somehow, some way, I, I wasn't a great Christian at some point in time and, and I, I'm not sure that God forgives me. In Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, Work at living at peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. You're right in the sense that you can't just go on living in sin like you think that somehow, some way, it's just free grace everywhere. Like somebody like Bart or Bonhoeffer would talk about. It's not free grace. It costs Jesus a lot. It costs us a lot. It costs us the willingness to follow Christ and follow His way, realizing He's in charge and we're not. But even in Malachi, in the Old Testament, in verses seven, chapter seven, verses eighteen and nineteen, where is another God like you, who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of His people? You will not stay angry with your people forever, O Lord, because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You do know that there's some places in the ocean they can't find anything. You do know that sonar radar only goes to a certain depth and there are some depths we're told today that you can't get to. That's where God has cast your sin if you've been forgiven. I love the story of Corey Tin Boom, and some of you need to, to realize who she is and understand a little bit about what she went through. And 
and understand that her family was tortured in Nazi death camps and, and that she actually survived after watching parents and siblings and all kinds of family be put in gas chambers and how she was treated by Roman guards and abused by them and made fun of by them because of her faith and, and then coming to grips in court with some of those, uh, those, those, uh, perpetrators that abused her and, and made fun of her and killed her family in some of the war trials and, and forgiving them on the stand and saying that God has forgiven her and that she has to forgive them as horrible as her life was as a young lady. I love one of her illustrations that she gave even in some of those Nazi war trials where she says, you know, I've been forgiven and when I was forgiven, God took me on a walk out onto the ocean. And on the ocean, there was this huge barge and I realized that that was my sin. Not somebody else's sin, not what they had done to me, but but what I had done in my heart against God and what I had done in my actions against God. And and if anybody was close to being a saint, it would be somebody like Corey Tim Boone. How can you have a barge full of sin and just coming to self-awareness to realize the overwhelming peace of God that comes when you're forgiven and and God is taking her out there on this walk on the ocean, as it were, in her mind. And, and all of a sudden, that barge pushes all of that sin off into the depths of the ocean. And she watches it sink. And they walk back to the shore. And there's a sign on the shore that she hadn't seen before. And it was facing the ocean that she would see as she's coming back to the shore. And God is with her there. And they're just having this great conversation about forgiveness. And he relieves, reveals this, this verse to her that you have trampled my sins under your feet and you have thrown them into the depths of the seas. And the sign as she came back to shore read, no fishing allowed. Why are you still fishing in the swamp of your sin? When it's been forgiven, my brother. When you've been redeemed, bought back with the blood of Christ. He remembers your sin no more. It's high time you live like it. That you hold your head high, not in a proud kind of elite way, but in a way that just simply gives God thanks for the forgiveness that you have and looking at every person that you see and realizing they have the very same opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior and to have their sins forgiven and have their sins remembered no more. That's worth a hallelujah, folks. Hallelujah. He wants us to realize that He's in charge. He wants us to help us with our words and our thoughts and, and sometimes our judgments. He, he wants us to help us to be generous so that we won't let somebody else stumble because of our example. He wants us to know that we're forgiven and, and that He forgets and we need to forget as well. It, it's something where you perhaps need to pray for a better forgetter. Finally, God wants us to help a, to live a, an exclamation point life. Romans 14.8 If we live, it is to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So wherever we live or die, we belong to the Lord. What does that mean? That means we're to live with passion for the Lord. For the Lord. Our musicians are coming to help us as we close this service, but I, I want to tell you a story as they come. They're just going to play quietly in the background and and there may be something today that you want to pray about. It could be something you want to pray right where you're at. It could be something you want to pray right here at the altar. You want to kneel here at the front pews. It, it could be that something God has revealed to you. You know what? I've made a big deal out of something and I shouldn't. Or maybe I am holding a grudge against somebody and I shouldn't. Maybe I'm not living a life with passion. I, I'm not serving the Lord like I should. I, I don't know how this hits you. I, I know that the Holy Spirit hits us and it really is His responsibility to convince us of what we need to pray about. When I was your pastor here, I had the occasion to uh, try to show passion in different ways. And uh, some of you have heard this story, but I, I literally broke my exclamation point on my keyboard in this church, in this office. 
we didn't have Amazon back then. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm, I'm kind of old, so we didn't have that. And so I had a difficult time getting to the store. I, there was no staples. There was nothing that would deliver it to your door that I knew of. And so we had this thing called Office Depot that almost doesn't even exist anymore, if at all. It took me two days to get to Indianapolis because of schedules and other things going on. I was a mess. I, I wanted to especially tell my family, to especially tell my wife, I love you with an exclamation point. Because there's passion behind that. There's meaning behind that. I, I know what my eighth grade teacher said, but she's not here. I already graduated, and I'm going to use that thing. I used it so much that I broke the shift one on my keyboard. And so in those two days before I could get to Office Depot to buy another one, which they were out of stock with, and then I had to wait a few more days to get the thing, I, I would literally put, I love you, and then uh, a parenthesis, and I would spell out exclamation points. Some of you have heard this, but I, li- I was that psycho. I'd put a parenthesis, I love you, E-X-C-M-P-O-I-N-T, exclamation point. I, I'd spell it out because I wasn't going to let it go by. It's the kind of life that God wants us to have for Him. That we are passionate about serving Him. That we are passionate about honoring Him. That we're passionate about following His truth. Instead of following whatever we think we have created for our own lives. We need to live a life with passion and gratitude for Jesus. Because without Him, I'm nothing. With Him, all things are possible. Thankfully, I'm using that exclamation point again with somebody special. You're going to meet her in a couple of weeks. Be nice. Break your exclamation point for Jesus. Wear it out. I dare you. Preacher talk would be, I compel you. The clock's ticking. Somebody. Somebody. Maybe even somebody right next to you. Needs to know. I love you. I'm praying for you. Sure, I don't see eye to eye with you on everything. Ask them what their tattoo means. Start talking to the world instead of talking about the world. Stop the judgment. Only God is the judge. What are we to be known for? Our love our passion for Christ and for others. To put it in another way, figure out what counts on the last day for you so that you know what counts every day for you. There's just some things in life that aren't worth sweating. Sweat the eternal stuff. Live for Christ. And use that exclamation point. What does that mean? That it's serious. That you're passionate about it that there's significance to it. Wear it out. If you're an 8th grade English teacher, I'm sorry. But live an exclamation point for Christ. I I don't know how this hits you. I don't know precisely what's going on in your life. I've never tried to predict that anywhere. But if you need to spend a moment in prayer today, if you need to accept Christ's love and forgiveness that He really doesn't remember your sin anymore because it's gone. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe it's something where you're holding a grudge like I said earlier. Maybe maybe it's something you don't even know what the grudge is about. You just know there's a rift and you need to fix it. God will help you. You really can't, but God will help you. Would you make that a matter of prayer today? by coming to this altar, by standing to your feet, by kneeling at your pew. It doesn't matter what your posture is, but the altar's open. We're going to sing the song, and then we're going to have a prayer time together. No one, no one will judge you, especially after this sermon, if you stand or kneel or come to this altar. You are accepted 
in a time of prayer by God the Father through the presence of His Holy Spirit. Believe it and live it every day. Exclamation point. You take whatever posture you need. We're going to sing. You come if you'd like or stand if you'd like or kneel if you'd like in a time of prayer. It's tough living a Christian life. God will help you. The question is, will you ask Him? So let me pray. And I promise to pray for you who have lifted your hands. Thanks be to God for His work in our lives today. Lord Jesus, thank You for this time. Thank You for the reminders, even in a text that kind of jumps all over the place. doesn't really flow that well. The bottom line is, whether we live, we live for Christ. Whether we die, we die for Christ because we belong to the Lord. May we live that life passionately for You. There's somebody around us that needs that kind of compassion. It could be that there's somebody standing in this place today that thinks they're worthless. That thinks that everything they touch just kind of falls apart. Lord, I pray that You'll reach Your hand down out of heaven just now and that You will grab them. That You will hold them. That You will whisper in their ear, You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. May they know the passion that you have for the world and for them as individuals. May they be uplifted today. For the one who says, I don't think so. I, I think I've got it all figured out. I pray that you will remind them today that you are God and they are not. Would you do that for every person on this earth? Whether they lead a country or a business or a household, remind us that we are to live as unto you. For you are the giver of all of life. Go with us in this day. Continue to hear our prayers. And thank you. Thank you for your transforming grace that has been with us and goes with us from this place. Now we pray that you will help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. In the name of the Father, Jesus the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful day.